This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I chatted with Madeline, who had somewhat of a rollercoaster surrogacy arrangement with intended parents who lived in the same state as her, but several hours away. I'm going to hand over now to Madeline, but I think this episode is really lovely. She's just at the end of her fourth trimester. She's going to tell us all about it. And I think she's got some really valuable insights for surrogates and intended parents alike. Here's Madeline. My name is Madeline and I'm a surrogate. 10 weeks ago, I birthed a baby girl for her two dads. Um, I live in Sydney with my husband and our two children and my IPs, although now they're parents, um, live up in uh, near Byron Bay. That's lovely. So tell me, how did you come to surrogacy? So when I was in college, I had a friend who looked at me over the table and said, when I want to have kids, and I looked at him and I said, when you want to have kids, you call me and I will help you out. And then I went on and he went on and we had different lives and we did different things. And I had my children and the surrogacy thing still was popping up in my head. And so I started to research what is surrogacy like in Australia, because obviously I'm not from Australia and I didn't know what it looked like here. So I started to do that research and I obviously came across the Australia surrogacy community and I joined it in 2017 with the idea of let's see how does this work? What are the questions I should be asking? Um, who are the people in this community? And so I put myself out there, you know, and I said, this is who I am. And the community was amazing and responded really wonderfully. And after dating, for a little bit with a couple of different people and getting to know them. There was a couple that both my husband and I developed a relationship with and we started traveling together and getting to know each other. And we all sort of thought, yeah, this could be a really good relationship. And so we started doing legals and they were looking at egg donations simultaneously. And we knew this was gonna be a long process, but that was fine as I have two young children. And uh, about, Six months down the line, um, everything fell apart. Uh, it wasn't the relationship between my family and them. It was just they realized that this was not what they were wanted to do, and um, and it wasn't going to be something that they could continue with. And that was probably a moment that I, both my husband and I, were like, okay, so what do we do now? Because we had found a couple that we really liked and we thought we were all getting along really well and then things changed. And so I stepped back from the community for a bit and kind of just regathered my thoughts and tried to figure out what it is that I felt like doing. Did I, why did I want to do surrogacy and sort of rediscovered what it was about surrogacy that pulled me back in. And ultimately it was the idea that I loved being pregnant. I loved, um, you know, children, I work as an early childcare educator and there was no reason for me not to go back in there and try and reestablish a relationship and see if there is someone else that we do click with because there is no timetable on these things. You could find someone one day or you could be on the page for years and you just don't necessarily click with anyone. And we dove back in and at the end of 2017, we found 
Rick and John. And I remember I messaged them and I was like, oh, you know, let's message them. And we did that. And, and then they, I hate dating. I have to just say that I absolutely despise dating online. I'm really bad at it. I don't understand how to be polite at it. I think I'm funny. And then I feel like my jokes fall flat on the face. And so Rick and John replied back going, hey, we're really keen to get to know you, but we're not so good with messaging can we do a Skype call? And Andy and I looked at each other and we're like, yes, these people get us. And so every Sunday we would get together on Skype and the four of us would chat. And it was this fantastic, weird couple dating situation of, um, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? What do you do? What do you not do? And, and then we finally decided, okay, let's get together in person. And we did, and it was just great. We went out to dinner and we chatted nonstop and we just sort of all looked at, walked away from that dinner and was like, yeah, you know what? This is, this seems good. This seems like a really, really, really good fit. And so we started to put the wheels in motion for the next steps. Um, they were in the process of doing their egg retrieval, um, at you know as they were getting to know us so it was kind of it was two very different timelines and that was fine because again the timeline that I was working for was this could go on you don't know how long it's going to take to get pregnant you have no idea because it's not a walk into the clinic you know immediately it happens and next month you've got to slowly like every relationship it's got to build and so we we just let it go, let the timeline go and, and followed it. And that's one of the amazing things about the relationship that we've had is that we, every time we sort of feel overwhelmed or, um, or that we're not too sure where it's going, we're able to stop and take a big deep breath between the four of us. And even, you know, their egg donor, who's very close with all of us, um, she was able to step back and she would help us breathe. And we would have these, chats on WhatsApp between the five of us. Um, that was all very fluid and really lovely. So fast forward, that was 2017. So then end of 2018, so a full year after meeting them, we were ready for our first transfer. And it was actually done, the, it was done the same week that Rick and John got married. Um, just because that's how my cycle works and that was you know it was about a week before their wedding and we all joked that um when we do things we don't do things small we do things crazy and chaotic because that's just how the universe is with us and so we did the transfer and we went to their wedding and before we left i said to my husband i was like i'm gonna do a sneaky test and he said are you sure and i was like yeah because i'm pretty sure that this that this has worked and so um so I did a home pregnancy test and we went over to their house one afternoon and we gave them their wedding gift and then I was like oh by the way and I handed them the stick and their faces were just priceless um we were very fortunate that obviously it took the first transfer and we were so over the moon that we had those two lines and we said, look, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but this all seems to be going really well. 
And then um, thing, time went on and we went back to our home and left them. They live, um, obviously, so it's, you know, an hour flight and I'm back in Sydney and we're on school holidays and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm really exhausted, really exhausted, really sick. Really, everything is just feeling 10 times worse than it should. And um, I ended up going in for the eight-week scan and the sonographer is, you know, going over my belly and she's looking at it and she sort of says to me, I had explained beforehand, obviously, I said, look, this is not my pregnancy. This is, this is um, done through IVF and um, I'm a surrogate. So if I can take photos, you know, and I went through that whole spiel with her. And so she's waving her wand over my belly and doing the whole, you know, looking around and checking. And she goes, okay, well, you know, there's a heartbeat. And I was like, great, like tick. And then she starts giggling and I'm going, okay. And, and she said, how many eggs did they put in? I said, one. And she, she turned the camera around and said, but there's two embryos. And I think at that moment, I just started laughing and probably part of me was crying because I thought, I have no idea how this is going to go on. You know, this is, this is going to be a very hard and exciting pregnancy. And um, I sent the boys a message afterwards. And I said, look, I'm on my way home. Everything's fine. I've got photos. We'll talk to you in a bit. And I came home and I set up my iPad and I had them on my iPad and I had my camera below so I could video them. And I wanted that moment. And I still love that moment. Um, because as I photo, they, you know, their heads are turning and they're looking, what am I looking at? Where is this? Everyone, all, all of those early scans look like nothing. And I said, just read the words. And they went, fetus A, fetus B. And they were kind of, you know, it was, what are we looking at? What does this mean? And, um, and then we obviously all had to digest the fact that this was going to be a twin pregnancy and what that looks like and how that feels. And, and we were just getting our heads around that. And I went for the 10-week scan. And there was no heartbeats. And so then we all had to process that. And I remember talking to a counselor because that was probably the most important thing at that time was, you know, to get everyone's mental health as best as possible in a situation that was so hard. And, um, and she said, oh, this will be the moment where you guys will, you know, you can either come together or you can grow apart. And it's, you know, it's, it's not a fault thing. There's no one to blame. This is what happens in pregnancies. But it doesn't change the fact that your relationship will either be stronger or it'll change. And if it does change, that's okay. And of course it did change, you know, we, we all had to grieve independently. They were grieving for going from thinking they could never have children to having a child, to having twins, to ha having nothing. And my dream as well, you know, my dream of helping someone to have a family went from, oh my God, I'm giving them beyond what anyone could imagine to, and giving them nothing. And it was really hard. Was it harder too because 
um, they were so far away and not. Were they there for this for the ten week scan when you found out that news? No, no, I was on my own. Um, I I had both my kids with me, and I had to get home and get them set up in one room while I went in the other room and processed that and had to call Rick and John and call my husband and call my doctor because then it all got fudged between the, uh, the scan people and they called the fertility specialist. And so then I had to get, I was the one who had to call my own doctor to then arrange the DNC. So I think being interstate at that point was probably hard, even harder because no, the, the guys weren't there. And I think we all wished we could be together, but it was at that moment that we came together even more because we FaceTimed and we called. And it's kind of been one of the amazing things is because we always do everything face-to-face -face, that even though we're not physically there, we've always been with each other. Um, so we um, obviously, we had to all go through that. And then we sort of were trying to reconfigure and see what it looks like. And I got my period back after that. And we were all kind of, it was amazing because Rick and John had always said, you know, we'll follow you on this. And, and I wanted to just get my body back. And I threw myself into my swimming and I threw myself into my family and they threw themselves into their lives. And then we all agreed that April was the right time. April, May, you know, let's have two periods and then let's go. And we did it again. We went for that second transfer and it stuck. And we went for the scan, you know, sort of going, could this egg split again? Are we going to end up with another twin pregnancy? But there on the scan at eight weeks, there was one heartbeat and one very strong heartbeat. And so we all felt great about that. And the next time when Rick and John came down, they came down for the 12-week scan. Um, we had all agreed that the big scans were the ones that we wanted them to be together for. So the 12-week and the 20-week um, scans were kind of non-negotiables as far as I was concerned. So this is your baby. You need to see. You need to be in those moments. You know, you need to have a sonographer tell you sonographers so not what is that what they're called yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> fix that <laughs> we needed to have them there for that and um, and that was something my husband and I felt was so important because those are key moments in our pregnancies the first time you see them even though you don't know what you're looking at and so for the 12-week scan at that point we had also found out the gender and so the you know, Rick and John came down and we went for the scan and then they had arranged for a balloon to come to the house. And in that balloon, the balloon was a black balloon and they really wanted to make it all about my family. So we had to wait until my daughter came home from kindy because she was going to be the one who was going to read us the note when the balloon popped. So we set up three cameras to capture from different angles in the house um, and together as a group with the egg donor on FaceTime as well, so she could be a part of this. We popped the balloon. My daughter found the note and, you know, reads out, it's a girl. 
and we all just start screaming and shouting and you know that it was that moment that again it just kind of you feel so much tighter as a group when you celebrate those things and it doesn't have to be everyone it's just you guys you know it's like your marriage is no longer just you and your husband in this whole process it's you your husband and the other two people and you know so this the five of us as adults including my two kids so you know the seven of us were just in that moment and it was absolutely amazing because i had never done a gender reveal for my children and um and so from that point on i would do weekly photos of the belly so i would send that to them and i was really sick in the beginning and the only thing i could eat was lemons for whatever reason i would just i'd, I'd be sitting at work and i just this wave of nausea would come over me and i'd run into the other room and I'd have to slice a lemon open and pop that in my mouth. And so I started calling the baby lemon. So throughout the nine months, she was always called lemon, you know, and, um, and I didn't know this, but apparently the egg donor loves lemons. Like just generally she enjoys lemons. Oh, wow. That's quite interesting. Actually. <laughs> if was it like, was me, it would have been, Strangely enough, rock melon. My mum made a lot of rock melon when she was pregnant with me, but I really, really? hate. I hate rock melon. I, really, <laughs> I will never ever enjoy rock melon. But that's the one thing that she she even ate it in hospital. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> I never had those cravings with my kids. So just to want and need a lemon was so bizarre. Yeah. Um, I know. And um, so fast forward to so the pregnancy. Touchwood was boring. It was a really, really, really boring pregnancy. Did you forget um, that you were pregnant if you weren't feeling unwell? Yes. Mm. By the time, by the time I reached the second trimester, I was, I'd be going about the entire day and suddenly go, oh, right, I can't do that, or you know, like, this is there's something else going on. And then when she started to move, oh, that was hilarious. So I'd go and I'd get into bed and I'd snuggle down, and then she started having a party. 10 o'clock, always, she'd have a party. And I'd go, go to bed, Lemon, that's it. <laughs> and, um, and she'd settle down and she'd go to sleep. And my kids would constantly talk to her and sing to her. And we had the headphones so that Rick and John could read her stories. And so I'd watch TV and put the belly earbands on my belly. And so she heard them. And um, it, was, it was, again, it was just a really nice feeling you know like there was this such a night and every time we looked at the photos and we the date kept getting closer and closer and we were talking about it more and my kids kept explaining to people that I was having a baby but it wasn't our baby it was for Rick and John and then I'd always have to I'd be in the middle of a conversation and my children would basically have said this to a stranger so I would have to turn around and then explain to the stranger what was going on and not that my children were giving away a baby we were having because this was never our baby but explain that whole concept, which was exciting at times to sort of, you know, educate people as to what you can do and what, what, what you're able to do in Australia and what we're very fortunate um, for. So fast forward to January 2020. So 2019, we were pregnant. All the rest of the year is done. We get to January. And I am, you know, 
30 something weeks pregnant and Rick and John have packed up their house and they're driving down and we agreed that they would move in and live with us um, at 37 weeks, 38 weeks, 38 weeks. They, we said they could, they could move into our house. And this was because I also wanted them to be around the baby, um, the pregnancy, to be able to sort of their voices to be in the background noise that she heard, particularly as it got closer. And I was also becoming less mobile. Um, any pregnancy starts to slow down at that point. Those last five weeks are painful. <laughs> you can't do what you living, want to do. Living with your intended parents, because I have to admit, if if somebody said you should get your intended parent to live with you, I might have I might have moved out. I I really like my privacy <laughs> and my space. So having other people move in, that's quite a challenge. Um, what was it like? It was amazing because I think that's our our dynamic. Um, I agree with you. It is definitely not for everyone. And even my mother, who knows me very well, who knows how I feel about people being in my space, was, looked at me and said, "You are you doing this? <laughs> and I said, yes, because it's not just about Rick and John supporting me while I'm pregnant. My husband has been amazing throughout this entire pregnancy. And my children have been amazing. And they deserve to reap some of that. And so to have two extra adults in the house meant that they could go and do stuff that mommy can't do. And, um, you know, it's school holidays. So I'm 38 weeks, 37 weeks pregnant, 38 weeks pregnant with a five-year-old and a four-year-old who are like, let's go do this. Let's go do that. And, and so Rick and John could just go, yeah, let's go do that. And they did that. And mm. that was beautiful bonding for my kids and them. Um, and also it meant that I could just have that downtime and sit on the couch or go to the movies. And, um, and I think part of it was also as the amazing podcast that Katrina and you did on that third trimester <laughs> at about 38 weeks, I hit a wobbly as expected and the boys had just moved in and all the pressure I've got to have a baby and I've got to support my family and I've got to support my IPs and I've got to support my husband and I just went a little loopy <laughs> um, and we had about three false starts so I had pre-labor you know for about a week before because I kept thinking oh this is it okay we got to call the photographer we've got to do this we've got to do that and it was only after I finally turned around and went, no, I don't. Because at that point, as Katrina said in that podcast, it's that handover moment. You just have to trust that you have the people around you and they will support you because you need to just focus on you. And that I think is the benefit of having, if you have an interstate relationship to get down there and be there early, because even mm -hmm. if you've you know, your body has to feel like it can relax. And if you can't relax, there's no way you are going to have that baby. I also, I never went over with my own kids. I never went over 39 and four. So I knew that this baby, that Lemon was going to be born in the 39th week. It was just a question of when. I think you're right too um, that um, it, with intended parents, we talked about it on the podcast, the importance of intended parents planning on being there with plenty of time before the birth and plenty of time after the birth, 
because in caring for their baby or caring for their surrogate, they're caring for their baby. And if they they had a pregnant person in their own household, then they, those last few weeks can be, you know, the roller coaster of emotions and they need to be there. They need to be there to support the entire surrogate and her family. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And that's where, again, I think the, the amazing thing about our relationship is that I was able to say, Hey, I'm struggling. And Rick and John and my husband all turned around and went, okay, what can we do? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's me finding my voice and me feeling comfortable enough with my intended parents to say, this is what I need and our relationship being strong enough and them feeling comfortable enough knowing that if they support me, as you said, they're actually helping their baby. Mm. So it's, it's not about um, anyone being selfish. It's about recognizing that we're all human and realistically, we've all got to reach this finish line together in That's whatever, right. you know, however that looks, it's not going to look the same for everyone, but you all have to get there. And if you can't support each other, then it's going to be even harder. That's right. Yeah. So I do like the idea that they were in the house for all of that though. And it must've been quite special for you also to be able to hand that over to them and for them to see you when you were like dealing with um, early labor and everything else. Oh, the labor is a funny one. So when I actually hit proper labor, so I had my early labors and the first one I was in the house and I was like, okay, guys, just get your bag packed. And both their faces just went white. <laughs> and then we called the midwife and she said, look, just relax a bit. And I said, okay. And, um, and I called the photographer and I think, again, this was my controlling and this is why it probably became pre-labor and then dropped and pre-labor and dropped because each time I was the one setting it up. And it wasn't until that I actually went this is ridiculous. And so I had, they had seen me go through those two moments where I had set it all up. And I turned around to the three men who were living with me and said, I'm done. I'm done trying to set it up. The phone numbers are on the whiteboard. When I say to you, we're going, you have to make these phone calls. Perfect. And, um, and I have to just give them a massive plug because also at the end of every day, I had obviously would cook dinner for my kids and then I'd put my kids to bed. And when I came downstairs, they had cooked dinner for us. And every night it was just the best thing to have a cooked meal on the table so I could eat and get into bed right away. <laughs> um, it is a bit like, um, like romantic dating that they're looking after you because you deserve to be looked after. Yeah. That's it was lovely. so nice. It was so nice. And they'd all drink beer in front of me and I was like, ah, oh, excuse me. <laughs> What That's are you not doing? So nice. <laughs> Do you know what though? It was nice because it was so good. To, it, it's it kind of goes, I guess, that surrogacy high of like when you see your partner, um, or you see your IPs basking in that excitedness, mm -hmm. and they're all kind of in their own world, and you just get to sit back. And it's probably only now being on the other side after the baby's born that it's that same sit back and bask in the glory of what you're about to do. Mm -hmm. Um. So, yes, we had a nice week of that. And then I kept explaining that the baby was not going to come until everyone had gone to school. So both my kids had to go to school and then the baby would come. And so the day before school started in New South Wales, which is where we are. So on the Tuesday, school started on the Wednesday. I said, guys, it's going to be a cruisy day today. Don't worry about it. It's 
all easy. And they said, look, we've got a friend that we want to visit, lives about an hour outside Sydney. I said, you go, nothing's going to happen today. We've had three false starts. We're, we're totally fine. And that was also the day that I agreed to babysit my friend's three children. So. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> of course I did. So um, I'm the woman walking around with five children and a pregnant bump and just around the streets of the neighborhood and everyone's sort of looking at me confused, but no one wants to say anything as to why I have that many children. <laughs> and um, anyway, so it, the day's going really well. And about three o'clock, my friend comes over to pick up her kids and I'm sort of getting these niggles. And this is, you know, one of my mother's group girls. So she's looking at me and she's going, you all right? I said, yeah. I said, I don't know. I said, I've had a couple false starts, but I'm just sort of thinking maybe things could get going. And she said, should I stay? And I said, no, 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 you need to go take your kids, get out of my house. I said, I'm going to go take my kids down to the Woolies. I live five minutes from Woolies. And we leave the house and I decide to walk to Woolies. And so I'm at the corner at the lights and we've said goodbye to my mate. And I'm suddenly going, mm, this pain is kind of, it's intensifying. So I sent my husband a text. I'm like, you need to come home. And, and I said, oh, and you need, to, you need to call Rick and John. And I was like, okay, we're going to go to Woolies. And we get to Woolies and we're walking around and I definitely start contracting. Oh, wow. And I'm in Woolies contracting. And we're at, you know, we're at the, my kids are like, can we get this? I'm like, yep, put it in the basket. Whatever you want, just put it in the basket. <laughs> go and we pay. And my daughter starts asking questions. I said, honey, mom is in a lot of pain right now. Can we go? She's like, okay. <laughs> and at this point, I hadn't had a text back from my husband, which is really weird because normally he's really good about it. And so I ring him and I said, you need to come home and you need to call Rick and John and, and you need to call the photographer and you need to get everyone rallied. And he goes, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, pretty sure. So we get back home and this is where I can actually pinpoint times because it was fast. It was very fast. It was four o'clock. I decided to start writing down contractions. They're two minutes long every two minutes. Wow. And my children are in front of the TV and I'm pacing behind them just waiting for everyone to come home. And then I suddenly go, wait, what am I going to do with my children? Because all of my support people are going to come with me to the hospital. Who's going to watch my kids? And, um, and so we've got an amazing group of families to live in the neighborhood. And I was like, is anyone free for a couple hours? And one of the moms is like, yeah, 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 I can come around. Do you want me to do anything? And I said, well, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor. So if you could just come over, feed them dinner and get them to bed, that'd be great. So she lives a couple houses down. So she comes over. So five o'clock, suddenly everyone is back at the house. And I knew, and at this point I'm in active labor and I'm just going, okay, so I, we could probably wait this out a little bit. And Andy, my husband turns around and goes, no, 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 you need to go to the hospital. And I said, sweets, I think, I think we're okay. And this is a man who's seen me through two very fast labors before. And he said, no, we're getting in the car and we're going. And so we get in the car and we drive and, and, um, as someone who normally chats a lot, when I'm in labor, I just go straight in and I don't say a single thing. I don't want to talk. I don't want any noise. So Andy had to prep Rick and John. And he said, listen, this is going to be a very quiet car ride. You cannot say anything. And so I had my eyes closed and they just drove me to the hospital. And 
and we get there. And again, no one's allowed to say anything because <laughs> as soon as someone opens their mouth, I'm like, ah, 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 stop. <laughs> so we get into the hospital, we get upstairs. And, um, and at this point, I'm thinking there's no way that the photographer is going to make it. But I couldn't worry about that because I was in labor. You can't worry about those things. So I said in the lift, I said, okay, guys, you take whatever photos you need. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, this baby's going to be born way too fast. So we get upstairs and at that point it's six o'clock and um, midwife comes in and, you know, she's checking me in between contractions and unbeknownst to me, they're like doing selfies. They're doing selfies of the three of them with me in labor behind them <laughs> because that is what we do. And, um, and so I, I'm, you know, going through all the motions and, and then I, I was like, oh, I think, I think this, I think, I think I might need to push. And she's like, oh, I don't think you're fully dilated yet. And I was like, well, as I thought, I need to go to the toilet. Something's happening. And um, so I ended up, hold on a second, I'm going to break for a second because I don't know how much graphic, <laughs> how much of the birth story do we want? Well, yeah, you think about that. I'm, I'm okay with all the birth stories. It's really up to you. Okay. Are you going to tell us how you did a poo in the middle of labor? No, I didn't do a poo. But when I sat on the toilet to wait, my waters broke. And then I had to, so my waters broke. And then I basically gave birth standing up. But it's great because they were behind me. And this is why you need a photographer, because they were behind me. Okay. Um, That's fine. Okay. All right. So we'll go back. So where was I saying? So it was. Oh, now you got to link it. How are you going to do that? Okay. No, no, that's okay. It's, the editing is pretty easy. Um, okay. So you were saying that you felt like the urge to push. Yes. So I felt like something was going to happen and I just had, wasn't too sure what. And at this point, since my waters hadn't broken, I still had all this pressure. And I knew I was only eight centimeters dilated. So I thought I still had a bit of time. Um, but then... Um, so I was like, okay, let me just go to the toilet. I think I need to go to the toilet. I think I need to do a wee. And so I went to go to the toilet and then my waters broke, at which point I suddenly, the midwife's like, okay, we need to figure out what's happening here. And then like my other labors, it's just, that was it. That was the catalyst to just the birth started. And thankfully the photographer had arrived at that time. And so this is why I am so thankful for everything working out the way it did because I gave birth standing up with my husband standing in front of me and Rick and John behind me and the midwife below me. So I was standing while she was while giving birth and the photos that I have are photos that I never would have seen because it all happened behind me. And aside from the fact that my eyes are shut the entire time, but um, you know, it was, I pushed her out and I remember the midwife saying, I heard her talking to Rick and John behind me because in the photos I could see Rick and John were actually on the other side of the room. And so she said to them, she said, hand me a towel. And so Rick hands her a towel and she said, now get one for you. And so both of them were there as their baby came out. And we you know as she, as the midwife, you know, was holding her, they caught her. And they have that moment. And because we had the photographer, I can see that moment. And I love that moment. Mm, and beautiful. It was amazing. And I just, I remember 
holding my breath, waiting for her to cry. And as soon as she did, I just felt this elation, like this, all this weight and she had arrived. Um, I still couldn't see her because she was through my legs behind me, but we had agreed, obviously as all, you know, part of the process, um, we had discussed how the birth was going to look. And while there was no plan, the only plan was that skin on skin would be on me when she was first born and that we were going to have delayed cord clamping. And so there is a photo that I will always cherish of Rick, John, my husband standing around me and the baby is being passed through my legs and we're all looking down at her. And it's just, it takes five people for her to be here. And it's, it's one of the most amazing moments. You know, I, I wish I had had a photographer for my kids because I mean, this is a completely different experience, but it is something that I know that as a parent, it, I, I would have wished I could have that for my own children. And I know that they will always have that for their daughter. Um, you know, that moment of you're here, you are being welcomed into the world. And so, um, so we all sort of shuffle together onto the bed and sit down. And again, the camera's just going crazy. And, and suddenly... I come back, you know, like after giving birth, you come back from being in this cave. Suddenly you're, you're looking around the room and you're recognizing all these people are there again. And she's there and we're all talking to her and looking at her and she's just looking around the room. And I just could not believe that this was the same person that had been inside of me, who was the same person that we had talked about, you know, when we first met two years ago. Um, and so I had the first cuddle and then we ended up doing, I hadn't collected any colostrum beforehand. Um, and we, we had all agreed that giving her some in the beginning was really important. So, um, again, as a team, these are all decisions that we had discussed beforehand and all of us felt comfortable with. I put her on my breast and I fed her. And so she had a bit of a feed and the great thing about that was my uterus did exactly what my uterus is supposed to do and it starts contracting. And so she's helping my body get better and I'm helping her. And then I distinctly remember turning around after a while, um, you know, and going, I'm really hungry now. And I think you've had enough colostrum. And I had John in bed next to me. And so I unlatched her and I just looked at her and I gave her this massive kiss and I went here and I just handed her over and it felt like the most amazing thing because there she was exactly where she was supposed to be, you know? And I just saw the three of them all huddled together and Rick and John were looking at each other, you know, they like, oh, just when you look at two people, look at each other and you see the love that they have and they're looking at her and the love that they have for her. My husband and I are looking at each other like, oh my God, <laughs> look at them. And we're all getting all emotional. And then I turn around and I go, no, who has my peanut butter sandwich? Because that's all I wanted. <laughs> and, and, um, and, then, and then from that moment on, I knew that was exactly how you know, it was going to be. And the hospital was brilliant because they had already had a policy set up 
where Rick and John and the baby were going to be in one room and I was in the other room recovering. And so we stayed in the hospital for two days and then we all came back and they had a, an apartment nearby near my house. So they could start getting into their routine and doing what they need to do. And I could come home and be with my family. And every day we did a role reversal. So every night they would come over and I would cook, my husband and I would cook dinner for them. And we did that for about a week where we all sort of were learning our group and I could have snuggles with her and they would get to hang out with my kids. Um, and then, um, and then they drove back home. And so we had to swap over to FaceTime and photos and phone calls like our relationship has always has been. Was it hard um, saying goodbye at that point? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't hard to say goodbye. It wasn't hard to say goodbye to her because... I always knew that that's where she was supposed to be, but I think it was harder to say goodbye to them. And Rick and John have known this, and, and I was always honest that I would have loved them to just live nearby. You know, it was a treat to have us in each other's lives like that because it's always been so fluid and it's always been easy. Mm. But we've always known that we don't live near each other. And so after having that intense, you know, three weeks, you know, to say goodbye was hard for all of us. Um, and so, yeah, so now we had planned to obviously, she's 10 weeks old tomorrow. And we had planned to see each other. You know, we had put a date in the diary for a flight for me to go up there and see her when she was six months old. And it wasn't just going to be me, it was going to be you know, the whole family, we were all going to travel up and be together again. And obviously because of the situation, no one's going anywhere. Mm, and to, to clarify anyone that's listening right now, we're, film, we're recording this in the middle of COVID-19 pandemic. So everyone's kind of staying at home, which actually is an interesting topic in terms of surrogacy because there's lots of teams in similar situations where they've got a pregnant surrogate or a surrogate that's just given birth and they're all having to keep their distance from each other, um, either because travel is banned or because we're all staying home anyway. How is that for you? Is that, um, I mean, obviously you weren't having face-to-face -face contact with them anyway. Is it um, difficult knowing that you may not see them for extra months than what you had intended? It is, but I think it's, it's again, it's, it's that feeling of connection that you have with your IPs and, well, now my parents, you know, with, that we've always had as a couple. Um, and the uncertainty, like everyone else, is, is, again, that's the hardest part, but because of technology and because of who we are as a team, and this is, I know this varies from person to person, but I'm, I'm okay with that. It's, you know there's a level of control that I can and cannot have. And I have no control over this, but mm -hmm. I can control making sure that my kids get to FaceTime with Rick and John and see the baby. And that brings me so much joy because they, they, you know, them and my husband are my biggest fan club in this whole process. They were my cheer squad. And to, to see them benefiting from watching her grow and seeing her do new things um, and seeing 
Rick and John with them, you know, like um, they are using cloth nappies and Rick and John said to Andy and I, did you, did you use cloth nappies? And I was like, nope, nope. You let me know how that goes. Like, this is your <laughs> journey. You, you do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and you know, my sister, my kids are kind of like, what are cloth nappies? And I'm like, well, Rick and John can explain it to you because mommy and daddy don't know. And so, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's the, it's the day by day. It's the, you know, we, some days we try to set up, let's chat tonight, but because of small people and life with a newborn, that doesn't always happen. And it's being able to accept that and still knowing. I think that the trust, it's taken a long time. It's been two years, obviously, but we trust that if we don't speak for a day, it's okay. If we don't speak for a week, it's still okay. And, you know, the relationship is probably even stronger now because we all know what it's like to have a newborn. Um, that if I don't hear from them for a couple of days, you know, I know they'll always think of me. They'll always think of me because they're sitting there holding her. What's and, the last 10 yeah. weeks been like for you? Up and down. It's um, the podcast about the fourth trimester. Again, very wonderfully timed. Thank you. <laughs> um, definitely, if you have not heard it, go back and listen to the third and the fourth trimester. Um, if you can, before you're in either of those situations, it's beneficial. In our situation, I did not hear either until after. But, um, <laughs> Sorry, Bella. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> um, I forgot to give you my timeline. I get it. And the fourth has been hard. Um, because I wasn't expressing, um, I didn't have the milk hormones that come along with it. Um, and your head says one thing and your heart says something else. And it's a constant battle between the rational and the irrational, as I call it. And I'd wake up some days and I'd go, okay, today's a good day and something might happen. Um, and I know who I am in the sense that I had lined up a bunch of things to keep myself busy. So I kind of made sure I was never alone. Um, I, my dad came out from the States after about a, two weeks after Rick and John left. So I had, I've, I've always had support and I think that has helped something to keep me busy, something to make me think about and refocus on me, um, which has helped the fourth trimester. But when those hormones hit, they are crap. They are, and they they come out of nowhere. I used to find um, in the beginning, particularly at the end of the pregnancy, and then again when I was, I mean, 10 weeks on now, I'm much better, but probably up until about two weeks ago, um, if I get behind the wheel of a car, sometimes the hormones will get me. And I don't know if it's because then I go into autopilot and so I'm, I'm not as aware, I'm not necessarily thinking about what I need to do or where I am, but like a song will come on and I'll just start crying and those car cries, oh, they're like the best cries and the worst cries. Um, and, you know, just kind of take a deep breath and get through that moment because that's, everyone's different. But for me, taking a deep breath, recognizing where I am, letting it wash over me and then moving on after helped me. I think um, you're right. You have to kind of move through it rather than try and step away from it. Because if you mm -hmm. move through it, then 
it's easier, I guess, to move on from it. And not holding it in, not feeling like I can't be vulnerable. I mean, Rick and John have always said to me, we're here with you in this fourth trimester. And those words mean so much more than I could have ever expected because, you know, similar to when I was at 38 weeks, you know, you feel like you're responsible for this. You have to do it. And so you're in the fourth trimester. And so I have to do it. I have to be responsible for my emotions, but it, it's not like that at all. And, you know, if you think of any other pregnancy that you'd have with your partner, your partner would be right there if it was your own child. And so in our situation, I'm very lucky to have two IPs who know that they are here with me. You know, Rick and John, if I've had a bad day, I call them. They're like, hey, talk to us. You know, we're here. You want to cry? You cry. You want to be angry? Be angry. And, and they're helping me to ride that and navigate that. They sound so lovely. <laughs> they are so lovely. I'm going to need to get them on the podcast. <laughs> I think you will. I think they are. And right now, because of um, COVID-19, they're actually having the most amazing time being two parents at home with this baby. Beautiful. And they are isolated in their own fantastic, beautiful cocoon. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think they send me photos every day. And if I haven't gotten a photo, I send them, I go, where's my photo? And, um, and they're like, okay, crazy lady, it's coming. And, <laughs> and then, and, and we laugh about it. Um, and I am very thrilled that they now have this beautiful, healthy girl mm-hmm. in their arms. And you did that. I know. It's <laughs> Not to sound modest, I know. <laughs> Congratulations. You're, you're lovely. Thank you so much. That was such a lovely <laughs> interview. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you are looking for more information, you can find it on the blog. Listen to more podcast episodes at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at sarah at sarahjefford.com.